Man, can you thank the choir for, man, what they did? Thank you so much. Oh, man, what a, what a beautiful song, and, and it just sets up so perfectly where, we go, where we're going this morning. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our, our series looking at the unique Christmas story as told uh, by John in John chapter 1, but then I also want you to turn over to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, and uh, we're going to get there eventually because there's something really interesting there that I think is going to bring better understanding to what we're going to talk about here in, in, in John chapter 1. Now, actually, before we jump in, I just got to say this. Man, my feelings are hurt, guys. And, and let me just kind of just be honest. My feelings are hurt. People have said that I'm just like a Grinch, that I'm stealing the joy of Christmas. And, and they've told me that, you know, like, you don't even like putting up Christmas lights. I don't. I, I don't like putting up Christmas. And they're like, oh, that's terrible. And then, but the, what just brought people out of the woodwork was what I said last week. I don't like the song Little Drummer Boy. And like people have been sending me their favorite renditions thinking that it's going to change my mind. It's not. I hate the song. And I'm a drummer and I still hate the song. Like, like somebody told me, it's like, you know what? I just try to imagine a little boy that all he had was his drum and he was just playing softly for Jesus. I'm like, dude, have you ever heard a little boy play the drums? There is no soft about it, man. And so anyway, so I'm just gonna just put it over the top, all right? I'm just gonna, like all of you people think I'm the Grinch, I'm going to prove it once and for all right here because Lori and I have been having an argument for almost 22 years. And it usually starts either early December, actually a lot of times right after, right after Thanksgiving, and it has everything to do with are we going to have a fake Christmas tree or a real Christmas tree? Oh yes, listen, I'm already I'm feeling some hatred already, and you don't even know what position I've taken, and you've already decided I'm the bad guy. Okay, so let me, here's how it goes down. Like one of us wants the whole family thing going out. You know, so it's a family tradition. You go out, you know, the whole act, cut down the tree, put on, bring it back, bring it back inside the, the house. And, and, and another one of us does not want to watch their wife cut down a Christmas tree. And so I'm just saying that for the last, the last 21, 22 years, we've been having this argument. I am O for 21. I'm like, listen, man, fake tree, Lori, they're pre-lit and everything now. She's like, I don't care. I'm like, hey, listen, we can get like a Scentsy candle or whatever that smells like Christmas. It's perfect. She's like, no. And, and I, like, it was a two, and a, half, two and a half weeks ago. I bring it up every single year. I'm like, maybe I'm going to wear her down. Eventually, I'm going to do it. Two, two, like two and a half weeks ago, I brought it up. I was like, hey, what, what if we do that? And she's like, no, I want a ritual. I'm like, what's the point? Like, logically, I've laid it out, man. We would save money with a fake Christmas tree. I mean, I, I've got it all figured out. And she's like, no, I'm like, what's the point? You know, I, I just give up. But I promise you, next year, I'm trying again. I am not giving up. And one day, actually, I'm, you know, I'm probably, I'm, I'm probably never going to win that argument. But it is what it is. But, you know, it's, it's funny because I was thinking about, you know, I was, we were... I was talking to somebody else about this. We were laughing about the, the crazy Christmas traditions and even the, the, the crazy thing, like even when you get married, you bring those traditions with you and it's like worlds colliding. Like there are some things that you guys do every Christmas, like maybe Christmas Eve, your family like open pajamas. Like anybody do that? Like, like it's a, 
Oh yeah, okay, so some of you. And like, like others are like, no, we go, we go to a service on Christmas Eve. And by the way, we are having Christmas Eve service at Mill Creek Elementary in Middleton, uh, 6 p.m. Christmas Eve. So you can do that and open your pajamas later that night. So it's win-win. But you know, this whole thing of, of uh, you know, what's the point? I, I, was, I was studying through... Uh, for this message in John chapter one, it's interesting because John is telling this Christmas story, his version without, you know, like all the historical details, no stable, no shepherds, no star in his story, but it's still, it's still a really important uh, thing that he's saying here. But he's writing to two groups of people for sure. He's writing to Jews and to Greeks. Now, it's interesting because what I'm going to read, I'm going to read John 1, 14, and we're going to break this down this morning because it's really, really important. But you got to understand that the Greeks and the Jews are, are unique in what they're looking for. This whole thing, what's the point, is a question that the Greeks have been asking for years and years and years, for not just decades, probably for centuries. Ever since Alexander the Great, man, came to power, the Greek empire began to spread and... and, and it was amazing. You, you've heard that, like if you studied history, you know, it's, it's reported that, that Alexander the Great wept because there were no more worlds to conquer, poor guy. And, and so because of, because of the spread of, of, of the Greek empire, there was these, this great influence in which, man, uh, Greek, Greek culture, uh, music, philosophy became big. And a big part of Greek philosophy was this whole, the, this question they would ask, what's the meaning of life? The Greeks were searching for meaning. And as part, of their, as part of their search for meaning, they, they would discuss the significance. They were looking for logos, logos, and the significance of logos. It was a Greek word. It's the word from which we get logic. And this was a very, very important word to the Greeks. But here's what you got to know. As John is, is reflecting on when Jesus showed up, when Jesus came, at this point, after, after decades and centuries of arguing over the meaning of life, it was like if you've read Greek philosophy and you're like, no, I have not. Um, if you would study, you would know that Greek philosophers at the, around this time had come to this understanding that there is no meaning in life. There is no such thing as meaning. The whole thing of what's the point it's a question for which we don't have an answer. And so while there were all different groups that broke off in Greek philosophy, there were two major groups. There were the Stoics who said, we don't think that there's any meaning to life, but here's what we're going to do. We are going to leave, live courageously, nobly, with great discipline. That is going to mark us, the Stoics. If you, if you study Greek philosophy, that was a, that was a, a, a group of thought. Uh, I mean, a, a, you know, a philosophy that, man, they were known for this. On the other hand, there were the Epicureans, and, and they said, we agree with the Stoics. Yeah, there is no meaning to life, but on the other hand, if there's no meaning, then let's just do what we're going to do, right? Eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we might die, so let's live it up. And so for them, it was, let's just do what we can do. It was the pursual of the flesh, man. I, I, I want to do what I want to do, and they were known for this. They were known for the excesses. And so it, you had one thing, they both agree the fact that there is no meaning, but, but how it impacted their lives over here, you, they lived a very disciplined life and we're, gonna, we're just going to, you know, grim faced, make it to our final destination and when it's over, it's over. And over here, it's just, we're going to party till it's over. Now, right now, like some of you are like, I know which one I'd be in. Like right now, you're like, I know which one I'd be in. Now, here's what you get to know. J when, when John is writing here in, in John chapter one, verse 14, 
He's writing not just to the Jews, he's also writing to Greeks. And here's, here's what we read. And I, I mean, this is, this is huge. He's actually answering something that the philosopher's been talking about for years when he writes in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, what, what we don't know, because we're not reading a Greek Bible, obviously we speak English, we have a translation. He is using the very word that they had been using to debate the meaning of life all of these, all of these years. When we see here in verse 14, and the word became flesh, if you'll notice, the word is capitalized. We don't, we don't since we don't have a Greek Bible, we don't understand that he actually is using the word logos. He said, logos showed up. You have been searching for the meaning of life. You have said there is no meaning in life. And yeah, what John is writing is he's saying, first of all, there is meaning. And secondly, you missed it because you were looking for an idea, but the meaning is a person, not an idea. Logos is a person to be known, a person to be loved, to be worshiped, to be enjoyed. He's saying that the logos, the word showed up and he literally is the very essence of meaning. And so he's writing this to the Greeks, but he's also writing to the Jews because the, the Greeks were looking for meaning. The Jews were looking for a Messiah. Now, what, what's significant about a Messiah? Let me, let, let me describe Messiah, see if you know who I'm talking about. What do we know about the Messiah? He was born in a time of oppression. He was an infant under the reign of a king who, ch who tried to consolidate power. He was threatened by killing all, all of the boys, uh, the, the, the young boys among the, the people of God. He came to bring a word from God to people who hadn't heard from God in 400 years. He established a covenant between God and man and ultimately was used by God to lead his people out of oppression. And if you think I'm talking about Jesus, I'm not. I'm talking about Moses. He was the first Messiah. It's very interesting when you compare the life of Moses to the life of Jesus, the times of Moses to the times of Jesus. Do not tell me that it is any accident that, that Christ showed up when he showed up. Can I tell you that we serve a God who's a God of detail? His word is not an accident. History is not just some random thing. It just happens by chance that he's some benevolent deist who got things created, got the world spinning around and said, I'm out of here. Let's see how this thing works out. Not at all. And John is making this point when he writes, because they've been looking for a Messiah. They've been looking for a Messiah. And they've been crying out. There was 400 years. If you go to the, to the book of Exodus, it shows that they had been in oppression for 400 years. 400 years in which they've been crying out, Lord, deliver us. Deliver us from the oppression of the Egyptians. God, speak to us. God, do something. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna, let me turn back here to, uh, oh, <laughs> literally, this is good. It just fell right open to where I want to go. I don't even have it marked. But anyway, Exodus chapter two. I love this. It says, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, cried out for help. I love this. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And if you keep on reading, you go to, you go to Exodus chapter three. God didn't just know he did something about it. 
And we read of, of this, this incredible thing where he calls Moses. And he calls Moses to come back. He's uniquely qualified. He is uniquely qualified to be the deliverer of the people. He does something about it. These were people who had been waiting, waiting, waiting. They'd been waiting for 400 years. And what did God do? God sent the Messiah. He sent the Moses. Now, here's what, here's what John knows as he's writing this. He's writing to Greeks who are looking for meaning. He's writing to Jews who are looking for a Messiah. He wants to answer the objections of, of both. Because when Jesus shows up, see if this sounds familiar. He shows up and there are people who have not heard from God for 400 years. Remember a few weeks ago, I told you about uh, what the, the vision that Ezekiel had. It's, it's in Ezekiel chapter 10, chapter 11, in which he literally saw the presence of God leave the tabernacle, leave the city of Jerusalem. That had been their confidence. If that wasn't enough, the very last book of the Bible, the last prophet that we know of chronologically, that under the inspiration of God had written, is, is Malachi. When he lays down his pen, there's a period of time from him laying down his pen and Jesus showing up of 400 years. That's generation after generation of people who've been waiting to hear from God, but yet they haven't heard from God. 400 years in which they have been oppressed. There has never, there's never a time in this 400 years that they did not have somebody who ruled over them. And for 400 years, they were, at, they were calling on God for freedom. Lord, deliver us. At this point, deliver us from the oppression of the Romans. Lord, would you, would you speak to us? Lord, do something. Do something. And just as Exodus chapter two records of God seeing, God hearing, and God knowing, can I tell you in a very same way, as, as Jesus is getting ready to, to show up on the scene, God saw, God heard, and God knew. He did something about it. Now here's the deal though, before Jesus shows up, they have, the only things they have to hold on to are the promises of God. They have promises of prior generations. How do you keep promises in front of you when you're not hearing anything? Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You throw a party. You have festivals, and they had festivals. And the purpose of a festival was all about remembering what God had said and what God said he was going to do. And so, so the, the Jewish calendar was filled with festivals, but there were three big ones. A couple, what was it, two or three weeks ago, we talked about the Feast of the Tabernacles and the whole thing, and, and, and we looked at John chapter one, and John is alluding to this, uh, man, the light came, and, and he came to his own, his own did not receive him, and all that sort of thing. We, we talked about that. Well, the granddaddy of all the festivals, though, was Passover, Passover was an incredible festival in which, in which they, they remembered, they went back and they remembered God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. They remembered that when they cried out that God sent them Moses. But here's the crazy thing. They would read from three specific books that Moses had written at every Passover festival. They would read from Exodus, they'd read from Numbers, they'd read from Deuteronomy. Exodus and Numbers kind of tell the his, historical part of all the details and the battles and all that sort of thing of them coming out. It's kind of like Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament, whereas Deuteronomy detailed the covenant that God made with, with, with his people. It's kind of like John. John. John is the Deuteronomy of the New Testament, put it that way. And, and, and so here's the thing. Every Passover festival, they would read 
among all, everything else that they would read, they would read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. And, and this is what God said to Moses. I will raise up for them, for his people, and, and remember, they're listening to this, they're remembering this, they're, they're holding on to this. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And so, man, you gotta man, grasp this. Every Passover, you're under the oppression of the Romans. It's quiet, you haven't heard from God, but at least, we're th- man, God likes parties. I'm just telling you, God likes parties. All right, but his parties have everything to do with remembering, remembering his promises. God's delivered us before. If he's delivered before, he he can, he can do it again. A Messiah, another deliverer is coming. This was the hope of Jews even through generation after generation after generation after generation after generation and on and on and on of silence of a Messiah is coming. Freedom is coming. And so this expectation results, people are looking for him. They're actively looking. In fact, if you man, continue to read here in John chapter one, go to, uh, what is it? Verse, uh, verse 21, go to verse 21. And uh, people are coming up to him and they're asking, first of all, they're like, uh, this is John the Baptist. He's, he's saying that somebody is coming and, and they're saying like, are you Elijah? They're asking if he's Elijah. He's like, no. And then they ask him, they said, are you the prophet? And what they're asking, are you the prop- prophet we've been expecting? Now, if you have a Bible that has like little numbers beside the verses and they have a little footnote with cross references below, there's going to be a little number by verse 21. If you go down to the little footnote, it's going to show that the verse associated with the question they're asking, Deuteronomy 18, 18, are you who you promised Moses said, are you the Messiah? And John's like, no, that's not me. But they're still looking. In fact, when later here in John chapter one, verse 45, Jesus is calling his first disciple, Philip. Philip goes back to Nathanael and he he finds Nathanael, verse 45, shares this and said to him, we found him. We found the Messiah. We have found him of whom Moses in the law, again, Deuteronomy 18, 18, and also the prophets wrote, we found him and he has a name, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Listen, man, these people have been waiting for 400 years and man, I get fired up, man. I, I'm like a, a history nerd when it comes to this sort of thing. Okay, so, so this is, I told you I'm going to Luke 4. This is where we go to Luke 4 and I want you to grasp this. And, and you're like, man, what is up with all the history? Get to the point. Hang with me, people. Hang with me because I want you to understand why this is significant. Listen, I, I'm telling you, verse 14 is one of the most significant verses in all of scripture. And it talks about the incarnation, Christ coming here. The, it, listen, man, it literally, what Tony said this morning changed everything. And I'm not talking about where he said, you're looking in people's houses. Don't do that. (laughs) That is like, I am not letting him live that one down. That is, I am so happy. Ah, so good. But no, when when he was, when, what, what, uh, what Tony was talking about is true, man. When Jesus Christ came, it changed everything. Literally everything. So Luke chapter four, here's what's going on. Jesus, this is the very first time he's going to speak or preach publicly, chronologically. Like, like, you know, Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount, we're familiar with that. Luke chapter four chronologically precedes that. He's come back to his hometown. And, and what would happen is you, you would be, like if you're on your, uh, you come back to your hometown, you would be invited 
if they recognize you and, and they knew that, that you were some sort of religious teacher, you'd been doing something, and I'm sure, man, miracles, Jesus did the, the miracle of Cana, things are getting out. And so they would invite you to come and share a few words and to read from the scriptures. Jesus shows up, they invite him to come read from the scripture. Now, here's, here's the crazy thing. When, when, we, when, we, uh, when we read, it says, uh, verse 16, when he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he would do this. Jesus went to church, by the way. Like, for those of you, like, you know, we don't need the church. Yes, you do. Jesus did. If you're gonna follow Jesus, do what Jesus did. Somebody needs to hear that. That's good right there. Anyway, uh, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, Here's the deal. There was a scroll that was handed to him. I, I got to pick on somebody. Let's see. Clint, you're sitting in the front row. I'm going to pick on Clint. Okay. Let's just, as an example, let's just say that I'm like, hey, Clint, I want you to come up and preach. And Clint's like, yeah, good luck. ain't going to happen. But let's, let's just say I, I, said, I said that and Clint's like, hey, you know, actually, man, I, I read something this week. This actually stood out to me. I've got some, I'll, I'll share kind of what, what I learned. And so, so Clint came up here and he shared. This isn't what they did when they invited you up to speak in the synagogue, they would hand you the scroll. It would be like me saying, Clint, you're coming up, and by the way, you're preaching this message right here. Go for it. And he's like, are you kidding me? You want to come up? No, I didn't. <laughs> but, but okay, so, so this, I want you to get what's going on. They've invited Jesus to come up and speak. It's not in scripture, but I got to think that Jesus grinned when they handed him the scroll. They handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Now, it's like, okay, what, what's the deal with that? Isaiah speaks more about Jesus in the, uh, than any other prophet in the Old Testament. It talks about the Messiah. Remember, the Jews are looking for a Messiah, somebody that's gonna deliver us from, from bondage. Greeks, looking for meaning. Jews, looking for the Messiah. Isaiah says more about the Messiah than any of the prophets. He talks about what, what his name's gonna be, Emmanuel. We see that in Matthew chapter one. He talks about what he's going to do, who he's gonna be. He's gonna be the lamb that, that, that is a sacrifice. He's going to, by his stripes, we're going to be healed. Listen, if there is anything, uh, if there's anyone who has been talking about the Messiah in the Old Testament, it's Isaiah. They invite Jesus up, hand him the scroll, Isaiah. Man, I love this. And here's what he did. He unrolled the scroll into verse 17. He found the place where it was written. And he's reading from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Remember, he's writing to Jews who are looking for a Messiah. We want to be free. He has, he is upon me to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Come on, could you have, could it have been more perfect? Again, I'm telling you, listen, don't tell me that everything is random chance. After a while, there's, there's enough of a trend. You're like, I'm seeing God working out some details here. Here's what would happen. at the Because this wasn't the first time that Isaiah 61 would have been read in a synagogue. And they've read this before. But what would happen is after the, uh, the, the scribe or the rabbi 
would, would read Isaiah 61. They would roll the scroll back up, hand it to the attendant, and then they would explain what Isaiah was writing about. Everybody knew what he was gonna say. It's like some of you. Like if I go to a certain passage of scripture, you're like, oh yeah, I know where he's going. That's good. I got the sermon. Like I don't even need a sermon guide. I'm gonna fill them out ahead of time because I know what he's gonna, I know what you do. You control freaks, I know who you are. And so, so it's the same thing. Like everybody knows what the message is gonna be. He's gonna hand the scroll over and then he, you know, the scribe's going to say, okay, he's talking about the Messiah. When he says me, Isaiah's not talking about himself. He's talking about the, the Messiah, the one who's going to come. And, and, and this is who we need to be praying for, anticipating, keep calling out, God sending the Messiah. And, and that would be the message. Everybody knows that's how the message goes. This isn't how it went. What we read is verse 20, Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. You ever, you ever be, you, you ever be, you're in a service or maybe there's something going on and there's like, there's like, you know something's supposed to be happening, but it's not happening and it's just like awkward. Like if you're a control freak like me, like inside you get angst, like dude, somebody say something. Dude, oh, dude, something should be happening. Somebody missed their cue. Listen, man, Jesus sits down and dude, it's awkward. Like, Jesus say something. Remember, he's in his hometown. These people know him like, Jesus. Like, can you imagine his, can you imagine Mary sitting there? He's like, oh man. Oh. <laughs> say something. You, she can't even look at him. And, and Jesus is sitting there. And I, 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 like, I like the end of verse 20. It says, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Say something. If you don't say something, Jesus, you know what it implies. It implies that what you read was about you. Get up and explain it. Preach us the message. But here's what he said. And when he spoke, he spoke the words that they'd been waiting all their lives to hear. He spoke the words that their parents had been waiting all their lives to hear, the grandparents, great-grandparents, generation after generation after generation after generation. He spoke these words. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I, I have goosebumps right now, man. Literally, it, it was like, let's just say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm up here talking about the second coming of Christ and Christ comes back. You're like, dude, that's amazing. It, this is more powerful because the one who has just read it said, I'm here. Now, here's the deal. We, we have no idea. He's, he's, in his, he's in his hometown. We know that a lot of people in his hometown did not believe him. They, they did not believe him. So we don't know if there was anybody who believed him that day, if anybody received him as we talked about last week. But the reality is what, what took place, whether they grasped it or not, Jesus said the Messiah showed up. You, you, you can keep praying, but you don't have to pray for the Messiah. That prayer has just been answered. Everything that you've been longing for, anticipating, you've been looking for the Messiah, you've been calling out for freedom, Jesus is here. The long-awaited Messiah has come. God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, who's gonna save? I'm gonna save my people from their sins. And this is why John is writing, and the word became flesh. Myth became fact. The eternal became reality. The legend entered history. Listen, this is mind-blowing. And what they couldn't have known, even if there's somebody that would have believed, 
John didn't even know this at the time that he's with Jesus. They had no idea that the second Messiah was gonna be greater than the first Messiah. They had in their mind what deliverance was all about, what it meant to have freedom, what it, what it meant to be satisfied, to have meaning. They had no idea how much better the second Messiah was gonna be. That's why we have a book of the Bible, Hebrews. The whole theme of the book is better because it just shows what Christ did, how he was better than the old. Than the old. The new has come. And this is what Jesus is saying. The Greeks were looking for meaning. The Jews are looking for the Messiah. And what John is saying is both of them have come together, not as an idea, not as a philosophy, as a person, the person of Christ, the Messiah has come. He's a better Messiah. Moses said, stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Jesus stood before sin and death and said, let my people go. Can I tell you right now, Pharaoh didn't have a chance against Moses because God, God, was, uh, God was with Pharaoh. Let me just say right now, sin and death, addiction, dysfunction have no place in the face of Jesus Christ. It's not that God is with him, it's because Jesus is God. This is the truth, guys. The Messiah has come. Jesus has come to provide meaning. Jesus has come to be the Messiah. And I just want to pause because the rest of the time, let's see what time it is. Okay, rest of the time I've, I've got, I, I won't break this down. Because I, I think this is really, really significant. And I, I just want to say why I think this is significant. Because I think there are Jews and Greeks that, that go to church every single Sunday. You're like, what do you mean by that? I think that there are people, you, you're around Christ or the things of Christ and you've heard about Christ, but you're still asking the question, what's the point? You're still, you're, you're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for meaning. I think that there are people that, that, that can identify with the Jews. Man, you want to be free, but, but, for, but for whatever reason, man, you just haven't found what you're looking for. You two, you, you sang that song all those years ago. I, man, those lyrics, they're great because it, it just speaks to the, the, the common man without Christ. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I think, that there are, I think that there are Jews and Greeks in every church on Sunday mornings or whenever the church gathers because we are the church. And, and, and so, so I, I want to talk about this because, man, everybody, you know, reads this. Like when we read, he came to, his, he came to the world, the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. It's like, man, how could you miss something that big? Well, dude, we miss big things all the time. Any, any of you ever miss a big opportunity? Yeah, we all have. Like, like some of you are like, man, I should have taken that job, had the opportunity, could have done it. I should have done this, should have done that. We, man, our lives are, are filled. We all have some measure of regret about something. Should have invested in Apple stock when it first came out. Yeah, I'd be retired by now. Yeah, I mean, we've all, man, I remember I came, when I came here as pastor, um, Matt Ritchie and I, we took a youth group over to, uh, I think, yeah, it was, uh, where was it? It was Idaho Center or somewhere. Anyway, it was Winter Jam music tour had come to town. And if you haven't been there, it's just a lot of Christian rock bands and that sort of thing. And so we'd gone there taking our teens and they had a prayer time before the concert. So I'd, I'd walked in and I'm just hanging out. I don't know anybody because I've j literally, I've been here as 
I think a month as pastor. And so I don't know anybody in the room. And so I, there was a guy standing against the back wall. So I stood by him. We just started shooting the breeze. And I lo- seemed like a nice guy. And so he was asking me, you know, where are you from? You know, where do you pastor? And so I was, I was sharing. And so then I asked him, I said, so, you know, where do you pastor? He's like, oh, he said, I'm not a pastor. He said, um, I'm one of the, I'm part of one of the music groups. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. He's like, actually, he said, we're only going to do one song. He said, my, uh, my sister pulled some strings for us to sing. And uh, so uh, anyway, he said, they, <laughs> he said, my sister knew, knew somebody on the tour. And so we're here. And, and then he, he told me, we'd talked for about 10, 15 minutes. He said, hey, he said, by the way, he said, we're just getting started. He said, if you, if you ever want like our band to come to uh, the church or whatever, he said, here's a card. He pulled out a card. He said, uh, I think it was their uncle or something that was booking for them. He said, man, give him a call. We'd love to come to Grace at some point. I'm like, oh, Okay. Like, I don't know the guy. So I, I put the car in my pocket and went on the concert. And they came out and they did a song. And literally, it was just a guy with a guitar and a guy with a keyboard. I'm like, I was kind of underwhelmed. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I, I think I went home and threw the card away. And then like a year and a half later, um, they hit the big time uh, for King and Country was the name of the, I was talking to Luke. And, and dude, they wanted to come here to Grace Bible Church. Like some of you hate me right now. Like we could be having for King and Country. It's like, you would like little drummer boy if for King and Country came to the church. But, but no, it, it's funny because I've looked back, like I had no idea who I was talking to. They, I had no idea what was gonna happen. I didn't know that they were gonna turn into not just one of the biggest Christian bands, but literally they're like on every award show, Grammys, whatever. I mean, I had no, I, you don't know in the moment. We miss out because of what we don't know. And so here's what I wanna do for the Jews and the Greeks that might be here before I leave this morning. I wanna leave you with something. I don't want you to leave without knowing a few things. And so like right now is when you're gonna be able to write because some of you have been stressed, like your pen is hovering over your sermon. It's like, dude, we only have like five minutes left and I haven't written a thing. Like, hang with me. I'm gonna go really quick, write this down. There are a few things I want you to know, okay? First of all, I want you to know this. I won't be satisfied and free until Jesus is my Messiah. Until, until literally, I, I've known him as my savior. Not just as, as a good guy, because I'm gonna tell you, Jesus did not come to be thought of as a good guy. Jesus did not come merely to be acknowledged, for us to know his name, to sing some songs, as important as that is. First and foremost, Jesus said in Luke, he said, I have come to seek and save the lost. He came to be your savior. Can I tell you right now, we're going to miss out on the meaning and the freedom unless, unless, we've, been, unless we've been saved. The second thing that I, I would say this, I, I, won't be, I won't be satisfied and free until Jesus is my meaning, until I find my identity in Christ. Because you know, we find our identity in so many other things. We, some of us are trying to find meaning and satisfaction in relationships. Man, if I can just date, if I, if I have a date, then I'm gonna have meaning. If I can get married, then I'll have meaning. If I can have kids, maybe that'll give me meaning. If I can have this job, I can have this number in my bank account. If, if this, if, 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 if. And, and here's the thing, we can set goals and we can achieve goals and I'm not gonna lie, there is, there is satisfaction. But the interesting thing about the satisfaction is it's always fleeting, it's always temporal. And you're left empty saying, okay, I guess I gotta go on to the next thing. Listen to me. Satisfaction and freedom will come when we find our identity, not in our work. 
You see, everything, we're searching for identity and we find our identity in our performance. Identity is not in our performance. Our identity is in Christ's performance. What he did is enough. If you're here today and you're trying to clean yourself up for God so he can save you, stop it already. He doesn't need you. You ever seen a little kid who's got into markers and everything or something and they try to clean themselves up? How does that go? It's terrible. That's, that's us trying to clean ourselves from our sins. You can't do it. We've got to have Christ. Listen, I won't know satisfaction. I won't know meaning and freedom until, until I have found Christ as my meaning, until I find my identity in him. I'm, I'm going to leave you with this. I will not know and I won't find satisfaction and freedom until Jesus is my Lord. And this is the surrender aspect. And, and I, I don't know how to illustrate this. I've, I've probably used this before. I think I have. But um, throw, throw the picture up uh, here. This, anybody ever seen a plate like this? And uh, I, I, this kind of helps me because I'm a visual guy. Um, how many of you li- like to eat on plates like this because it keeps foods from touching each other and you don't want different foods touching each other? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, okay. Listen, I, I see you. I acknowledge you. Uh, you know, that's good. Like Cassidy, my daughter. She puts, like we're having like Thanksgiving dinner and you put gravy on mashed potatoes. She doesn't want the gravy slipping into the green beans. That's nasty. Like she's like, I'm not gonna eat it. She goes to Panda Express. She loves the Panda Express place because you divide everything. Don't let rice or chow mein, don't let it get with the other side. Every food is supposed to be its own thing. I'm gonna eat this food and then this food and then that food. All right? Now, we got that plate. Then we got this other plate. How many of you are like, it's all going to go to the same place. It all goes together. You you bunch of freaks. I know who we got here. I see who we are. No, no, dude, listen, I'm with you. This is me. I'm like, dude, it's all going to the same place. Dude, put it together. Like, you're, you're the ones, man. You go to KFC and you get the bucket that, where they mix the mashed potatoes, chicken, and everything on it, corn, like, ah, it's amazing, man. This is all good. It's like, that's good. Now, now throw, up, throw up the picture with the both placed together. Now, now I, I want you to catch, here, here's why I'm saying, not just be funny, but catch this. Some of us want Jesus to be part of our lives like that first plate on the left, where he's just a section of our life but he does not touch the other sections. Now, here's the deal. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus didn't come to be part of your life. Jesus came to be, as John described him, the light which was the life of men. And what I want for you this morning is to move from the left plate, if you will, to the plate on the right where Jesus gets into everything where Jesus, he has, man, he has the authority over every part of your life. He hasn't just forgiven you of your sins. He literally has become the essence of life. If you haven't figured out my big point now, it's very simple. Jesus came to be both the meaning, our meaning, and our Messiah. Not only that, John says something interesting in John 1.14 where he says, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For, for us, that whole idea of glory is not, I don't, know, I don't know that we grasp the significance of that. 
Because the Jews, when they, when they heard the word glory, they knew God's glory was to be feared. Like you could not be around God's glory and, and face it head on and live. Like for instance, if you go, again, go back to Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, chapter 20, uh, where, where Moses is receiving the law on Mount Sinai, God, in essence, turns Mount Sinai into a volcano. It is so terrifying. The people fall on their faces. They, it, it just freaks them out. In fact, if you go, uh, what was it, Exodus 33, 34, it's Exodus 33, where Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God tells him in response, he said, you can't, in essence, you can't live and see my glory. He said, I'll show you my back. He said, I will pass in front, I'll declare my name. You'll hear my voice and you can see my back, but you can't see my face. And yet, even being that close to the glory of God, when Moses came off the mountain, it says, uh, it revealed his face shone and it shone so brightly, it freaked the people out and they asked for him to put a veil over his face. It terrified them. The glory of God in the Old Testament was terrifying. And John makes this crazy bold claim. He said that Jesus came, but what he did, he revealed the glory and we could gaze upon his glory. Not only that, the apostle Paul takes this whole, whole idea a step further in 1 Corinthians chapter three, where he, and he actually goes back and uses the whole story of, of, of Moses coming off the mountain having to wear a veil, but he said, we with unveiled face are beholding God. And here's what he says. He says, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another ourselves. This, this same God, this transformation, powerful work, it's not just something that is, that is to be witnessed. It's something to be experienced. And he said, this is the work of the Lord who is spirit. He said that Christ, in us, he's not just come to dwell with us, but as we've been talking, he has come to dwell in us. And as we close today, I wanna to say this, for those of you that you're asking the question, what's the point? You're looking for meaning or you're looking for freedom. Please break these chains. You've, Jesus has been part of your life, but he has not been your life. I want you to know he came to be meaning and Messiah. He came to be savior and he came to be Lord. And today before you leave, you can know him as savior and Lord and experience the transformation of being changed to be like Christ. Father, I wanna thank you so much for the power of your word. Dear God, the words that John wrote are so significant, they're literally pivotal for all of history. Without these words, without what he's sharing, we're not here, we're, we wouldn't be in this room, we wouldn't be singing the songs we sing, we wouldn't have a message to preach like I'm sharing this morning, we would not have the hope of being changed. But God, because of what you have revealed through your writer, John, we have the hope that Jesus was more than just a historical figure. He literally showed up to not just, to, to not just merely enter history, but to change history. He came to be the answer to the question, what's the point? He came to be both meaning and Messiah. And God, I just have a feeling as I've talked this morning that there have been people who are wrestling with this idea. Maybe they identify with the Jews or the Greeks. Whatever the case happens to be, God, I believe that in this moment, you want to transform them. And, and actually, you know what? I wanna pause real quick. I'm gonna come back to praying. If, maybe, maybe you are here. Maybe you do identify with that. And here's, here's what I wanna invite you to do. If Jesus has just been an add-on to your life, just somebody to sing songs about, to know about, but he's never been, has never become your life. Maybe it's, you need him as savior. Maybe 
you need him as Lord. I just, I'm, I'm gonna continue to pray. I wanna pray for you and I, I want you to surrender. I just want you to let him be who he came to be. Experience that transformation for yourself. And then I'm gonna tell you what, since God likes parties, I do too. Since he likes to celebrate, we're gonna celebrate because I'm gonna ask you to stand if, if this is what you did. And we're gonna go on record and just celebrate what God's doing. God, I just have a feeling that you spoke to somebody and I don't know how, what you're doing in this moment. I don't know how you're working, but God, I just trust that you are. And God, I'm praying that they've been cleaning themselves up or they've been trying to prove to themselves that they are somebody. If, if, if somebody's here and they've been looking, they're, maybe they're just, they're ready to give up. I don't see the point of all this. I might as well either live for pleasure or I don't know, man. It just, life has no purpose. Or maybe they've just given up hope of breaking the addiction. Whatever it is they've been in, they're like, there's no way I can get past this. God, I'm just praying in this moment instead of telling you what they're going to do they would simply surrender and let you do what you're going to do. And God, I pray that you would save, that you would set apart, and that you would transform and become Lord of the lives of those who are in the process of waving the white flag of surrender. God, I wanna thank you for what you've done in this moment, for what you're gonna continue to do for your people. So God, as we leave here, may you be glorified as you change your lives as we take our next steps. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, you know what? I'm, I just felt like we need to do this. Listen, if, if you this morning surrendered, you're like, I don't want Jesus to be part of my life. I want Jesus to be the life. And you made that commitment to Christ. He spoke to you and you responded. Would you just stand up? I want to celebrate the fact that he did that. Come on, come on. We're public, we're public. Anybody else? Woo, come on. I want everybody to stand up. I want everybody to say, because there is something, guys, about this. This, this whole thing, if we, can ca- if we can grasp this, man, Christ coming to earth, Christmas is awesome, but it's, it's this, what I'm sharing, this is what changes everything. And I'm gonna tell you this, next week, remember, Saturday, we got Saturday service, 6 p.m. 6 p.m. If you can be there, be there. We'll have the Sunday service as well, but if you can be there Saturday, we need some help just so we can make some room, but bring your family, friends, and listen, if they don't know Jesus, all the better. I prom- all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell a story again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share, I'm gonna share Jesus. And we're gonna let Jesus do what Jesus does because we know what Jesus does, amen? He changes, he becomes the meaning, he becomes, he becomes Messiah, and I believe he's gonna do this. So go encourage, God's not done. He's not done with you. If you're not dead, God's not done. So hold on there. The best is yet to come. We'll see you next week. Let's celebrate Christmas the right way.